It's been called the miracle of World War II. This month marks the 75th anniversary of the rescue of more than 7,000 Danish Jews from Holocaust. It was a heroic example of neighbors helping neighbors. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. The scholarship fund, thanks to Scandinavia, recognizes the ordinary people who performed extraordinary acts in Scandinavia and Bulgaria during World War II to save the lives of their Jewish neighbors. Joining me in the studio to talk about this often untold story is thanks to Scandinavia Executive Director Kelly Remote and someone who hails from one of the happiest nations on earth, Denmark's Consul General in New York, Ambassador Anne Dorta Rickelson. Anne, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. And Kelly, thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Anne, let me start with you. What is the role of the Consulate General of Denmark in New York? My role in New York is to um, tell the story of Denmark. Uh, sounds easy. Um, it isn't, and that's good, because I have to work hard at it. Uh, the story of Denmark uh, in New York and in the U.S. is Danish trade, how much we trade with the U.S., which is really a lot. Um attracting U.S. investments to Denmark, and that is also going very, very well. And then it is uh, the cultural and um, public diplomacy work, and uh, I think that's why I'm here today. So what is challenging about telling the story of Denmark? About uh, the happiest or the second happiest nation uh, in the world, Um, perhaps an a uh, superficial answer would be nothing is challenging. Everybody is telling it for me, and uh, I'm I'm just so happy to be sharing um, into that. No, the challenge is that New York is, of course, a place where where you you have to have a good story in order for people to listen because there are so many other good stories, and Happy Nation is not necessarily a good story unless you want to explain it and make it relevant for the audience. And that's what we try to do every day when we think about it. How can that be relevant here to New Yorkers or to the U.S. in general? And how do you explain that relevancy? I try to explain what it is in in uh, Denmark, specifically what people may not think about, which makes us, ha- us happy. It's a very boring thing. Uh, it is trust trust uh, in our institutions, uh, trust in each other. And uh, that doesn't make us smile. But if we are asked, are we happy in, in a more general sense, the answer will be yes. And that's perhaps a lesson for all of us and also in Denmark when our institutions are threatened. And what's the story about trade? What are we seeing in terms of the products? Mm-hmm. Denmark is an is is and has always been a trading nation. So we like free trade. We like that we we have a multilateral system in the world with not much protectionism. Um, that has made us uh, wealthy, and that, uh, in our belief, will make anyone uh, wealthy. What uh, Americans like to buy from us is not surprisingly uh, Danish design. Uh, Danish design in the widest sense. And right now, it's really how we make our cities livable. We have a great interest, not only from New York, where we have a a formal agreement, but from Detroit, from Houston, from L.A. How do we make our cities livable, livable for human beings? 
and and there we we come with with our architects and engineers and say we may have an idea, uh, so that is in demand. Um, anything con- anything that rhymes with sustainability, windmills. Um, we sell lots of windmills in in this great country, and 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 that's a great thing. You are you are helping to prevent what is a climate crisis, but you are also again um, making a, a trade relationship which has something uh, to old-fashioned in the sense that uh, we make money, you get a product and know-how, and in that way we all evolve. How long have you been in New York now? I've been in New York for three years now. What makes you scratch your head about New York? <laughs> um, what makes me scratch my head? Infrastructure. I think that uh, you, you, your subways are fantastic, but uh, need an update. And As I, do many other people. <laughs> yes, and and I, I when I am part of your hustle and bustle, it, I sometimes scratch my head and think collective uh, transportation that may be uh, an idea for whoever is going to be the next governor. Uh, you just had elected your mayor, but I think New Yorkers deserve that. Kelly, what's the story behind Thanks to Scandinavia? Thanks to Scandinavia was founded 55 years ago by a New York attorney named Richard Netter and a Danish entertainer named Victor Borga. Um, they came together to pay tribute. They wanted to pay tribute to those in Scandinavia, who the Scandinavian countries who had protected and saved their Jewish neighbors during World War II from Nazi aggression. And to do that, they chose to create a scholarship fund, which thanks to Scandinavia is a scholarship fund, that provides scholarships to students from Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Finland, Norway, and Sweden, and Bulgaria. We added Bulgaria about 15 years ago, uh, to study in the U.S. and Israel, graduate students primarily, to say thank you, to literally say thank you to those countries for protecting the Jews during the Holocaust. How many scholarships have you given out in all of these years? Somewhere northwards of 3,500. Wow. Yeah, and totaling about $7 million. Now, let's talk about the story that led to this scholarship. It's an amazing story. Many people have referred to it as the miracle of World War II. Well, in October 1943, word got out that, this is the very distilled version, word got out that the Nazis were going to start deporting the Jews from Denmark. And the Danish people together, collectively, in mass, decided to prevent that from happening. And in a about a three-week period, they worked together to get their Jewish neighbors into hiding and then put them on fishing boats across to Sweden. This is pretty miraculous because we're talking about an... More than seven thousand people. Yes, yes, it was. It was really um, um, an exercise in how to cooperate and how to cooperate uh, uh, with um, the threat also of your own life. Because if the Nazis found out, you were of course complicit, and and you would be uh, either deported or executed. Uh, so it was. I um, want to say thanks to thanks to Scandinavia, first of all. It is, and that's what I referred to before, it is amazing for me and, and really a privilege to, to have so many others telling our story. It makes it much more believable, um, but, but uh, more importantly, it makes the story live. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, 
My second uh, point here is to say Danes are not more heroic than any other um, uh, uh, citizens in in um, countries that had Germany as their enemy during the Second World War. Um, uh, we are uh, just like anyone else. But what made it uh, be possible in Denmark is uh, the societal structure that you had, and we, that's why it relates to a happy nation, and we still have a society which works, where you feel part of. And when Danes, right after the war, but also historians have researched into it, uh, had to explain why did you do it, Uh, why the Jews w- were so threatened in other countries, you didn't get an answer that had a lot to do with Jews. You got an answer which had a lot to do with Danes. But they are Danes. And they are countrymen. And that's what we do. So they happen to be Jewish. And and I think that's a, a point which is very, very important. We then had um, a society which worked. So when word got out, as Kelly just said, it actually got out from the German embassy in in, in Copenhagen. It was it was a German naval attaché, crisis of conscience, uh, uh, conscience who told the the government this is going to happen, and then. The government, social democratic at that time, used the unions, the student unions, the unions of doctors, the the of course the priests, um, uh, of course the rabbis, which in Denmark were very very active, and that was not the case in all countries, uh, but all were active, all were playing the same role, and that made it possible to get through to all our Jews, because that was how it was explained. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how did it unfold? I mean, how were they able to get this many people onto boats to Sweden Mm. under the radar Mm. of the Nazis as they're Mm. moving in? Mm. It was really because... uh, When when you ha- when you go through these um, these entities which are already organized, an organization happens then uh, in itself. So so communicating and th- by uh, this communication, you had really committees formed from doctors, nurses, teachers, uh, etc who then made the contacts uh, to the fishermen who were not uh, rich. They were really, really people living a hard and simple life. They needed money. So so that was also part of this exercise during these three weeks, as, as Kelly mentioned. So a fundraising uh, took place so that the Jews didn't have to pay themselves. I'm sure a lot of them contributed, which was which was normal also. So it was really a common exercise. And and it was because uh, it was possible because we had a society that worked. How much is this taught in school in mm. Denmark? Because here in the states, I had never heard of this story. Never mm. in history class. Mm. It is taught. Um, it is taught. Um, But it is um, not taught as much as you would think. And and that's, again, because we don't look upon it as a miracle. Uh, 
It's when you uh, go outside Denmark and find out that that the the reaction from the world, or uh, just on on my way up here, I talked to 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 um, uh, my communication um, uh, uh, expert, and and we talked about Hannah Arndt and how she saw the Danes at something extraordinary, but that's seen from the outside, and that's compared with all. Nations, uh, where where she also said Bulgaria was one of the 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 really interesting countries with lots and lots of uh, courageous uh, citizens, the same as Italy. They were very good at resisting. They may not have had as many institutions, but they really had a culture of resistance. Um, and and so there they, there are many good stories, but seen since we don't look upon ourselves as heroic and especially miraculous, it's taught, but not as much as you would think. Kelly, talk to me about the importance of telling this story, making sure people are aware of it. I think, maybe contrary to what Anne said, but I do think it's it's an amazing story. It's a story of average people getting together to do extraordinary things. They showed extraordinary bravery, kindness, decency, civility, human decent human kindness that is such an important and inspiring message in today's world where they're surrounded by so much negativity to pull the story that's 75 years old and hold it up as a as a as a symbol of inspiration that people can do the right thing at great personal risk when it's incredibly hard to do but I that is more important and more relevant than ever. I was going to say, typically with Holocaust remembrances, they're very solemn occasions. Is this one, when commemorated, more of a happy occasion? I wouldn't say happy. I don't think it can be happy uh, at all. But but solemn, perhaps not either. And uh, what we're going to do this year, um, uh, commemorating um, the event, and I agree with you, Kelly, that it is extraordinary. It's just really difficult to to talk about yourself as extraordinary, <laughs> unless you're <laughs> unless you left your modesty outside the door. But but we're going we can do it for you. Yeah, and that's why I say thanks to thanks to thanks uh, thanks to um, thanks to Scandinavia. But what we are going to do on a, on a more serious note is to have a really really interesting. Uh, panel debate at the Museum for Jewish Heritage, um, the 29th of October, and it's open for for anyone who's interested. Where we have some of the best researchers from Denmark, of course, but but from from Europe, uh, Germany, Poland, uh, to to come and talk to us about exactly what can we learn about societies who are able to resist. What is really the legacy for today? And I think this debate is going to be very, very interesting. So the 29th of October, I hope, a very enlightened uh, discussion where Denmark will take part, but take part in a much wider discussion. Um, so so please uh, sign up for all your listeners to come. You're much, much uh, welcome, and especially young people. I think there's a lot to, to learn, but uh, we're also very curious to hear your questions. And then there's a, a another another f- um, 
uh, things that we would like not to commemorate, but but to really uh, launch, and that is a photo book by Judy Glickman Lauder, um, who in a very, very beautiful book also explains the Danish story, um, and and uh, there's nothing like images. Have you had the opportunity to meet any of the survivors? Yes, and I have. What kinds of stories have you heard? Um, you know, if you, you are a survivor uh, and they survived, which is fantastic, it was still traumatic, it's not easy to talk about. Uh, you find that amount uh, among the resistance fighters also. They're among the most silent people I know. Uh, but what they do talk about is the feeling that they've always felt that they were Danes before anything else. And that was uh, that's a feeling that can't go away. So many of the survivors have uh, have really engaged in the Danish society in an enormous way uh, afterwards. And I think that's their way of saying that uh, we're not only Danes, we are, we are Danes who are going to make this uh, country stronger as, as, uh, um, uh, as we can. I think the, the simple message was, I'm so happy that it was not my neighbor who who um, uh, really uh, ratted me out to, to the Germans, but my neighbor who saved me. Kelly, what about you? Have you had opportunity to talk with people with direct experience? I have. I have. Um, I've become very close with one survivor in, in specific. And I think the most interesting or one of the interesting pieces that rings true with me is that he's so t- he was so touched by the kindness of strangers, or if not strangers, people that he didn't know very well, you know, distant relatives or or friends of his parents that really he had no connection to whatsoever, but put their lives on the line to protect him. I think it's important to point out that thanks to Scandinavia and the consulate in the country of Denmark recognizes that this wasn't a perfect, perfect story. There were about a thousand Jews who were deported mostly to Theresienstadt, a Nazi concentration camp. And most of those did return to Denmark um, and were cared for in other ways. Um, And they have their own story. That group has their own story of of the Holocaust, which is very different than the story. But I I think in general, 7,000 Jews were were protected as Danes, as fellow Danes. Uh, and, And so it was in my experience, it's the kindness of their fellow Danes that is what stands out for me. 99% of the Jewish population yes. survived, correct? Yes. Correct. Remarkable. No question about that. Yes. I think we have to also give credit to Sweden. Yes. It would not have been possible without Sweden taking the risk. Of course, they risk German sanctions in, in a big way. G, uh, Sweden saying, come. Uh, and no bureaucracy, no nothing. Uh, it wouldn't have been possible with, without Sweden, and it wouldn't have been possible without courageous Germans. Uh, this this is really a moral tale, where where we we are not looking for um, uh, nationalities as an easy way to explain it, but really, how do we make our societies better? Or if they're not good, how do we as individuals act? Who were among the more notable heroes of this rescue? <laughs> there were really no notable hero, and that is the story. That is the story. You would, you, you. Of course, I can mention names, but they would not mean anything to you. And and 
it was such a collective movement. Um, and and uh, that's also how Israel sees it. Um, so so uh, in Israel, Denmark is the only country as a collective entity that that uh, Israel names just among the nations, and and that's uh, that's the difference. It was a collective movement, and it would not be fair to say that there is one hero. Did many of the Jews who escaped return to Denmark? Yes. They did. They did. Um, they returned to Denmark. They uh, went into their apartments, their houses, and and one of the stories which uh, is told again and again, and and that's why I dare tell it, is that they went into their apartments, houses which they had left, of course, in a hurry, with plants watered, everything there, because it was not only a rescue action during the three weeks. It lasted until they returned. Also remarkable, <laughs> their homes were taken care of. Yes. Their pets were taken care yes. of, right? Yeah. By their neighbors, baskets yeah. of fruit waiting for them on the table, welcoming them home, yeah. which and is very, very different than what happened in the rest of Europe, or much of Europe. What's the Jewish community like today in Denmark? <laughs> um, there, there is a, um, a rabbi who is world famous in Denmark, also in Israel, um, uh, Melchior. Uh, uh, Bent Melchior, who said, "Denmark is is with with uh, jokingly, Denmark is a very very complicated country to to be uh, a Jew in because it's a wonderful being a Dane, and and that is uh, sounds cheesy, but what he's trying to say is that." Um, assimilation is so strong in Denmark, and that's also how Danes looked upon their Jewish neighbor as countrymen, that uh, to be Jewish is not something that is very distinct. We we really don't know. Of course, there's an active synagogue and an active, an active social life, but it is so mixed into the Danish culture that it's almost our synagogue. And I think a lot of Copenhageners uh, would would say that to to the wonderful synagogue we have in Copenhagen. How big of a Danish population do we have here in New York City? <laughs> um, so we we don't keep count as such, but but my guess would be, and it's growing, which is lovely. My guess would be that we are among twenty, thirty thousand. So a small provincial town in Denmark is living here among you in New York. Yeah. Is there a Danish community in New York, or is that spread throughout the city? Do you know what? Just as we we uh, love to have people assimilate into our country, and it's not always easy, and it's not easy today either. It is perhaps even much more complicated today. I won't I won't hide that. Danes are very good at assimilating, so I really have to go looking for them because they feel you know ninety nine percent New Yorkers, and that's the way it should be. That said, if one wanted to experience Danish culture here in New York. York City. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I do. And and I always have to be fair because there's so many uh, ways to celebrate Danish culture. But New Nordic Cuisine, I'm sure you have heard of, has become famous. It was definitely not fantastic in the 40s and the 50s. It was herring, you know, a thousand ways and that's it. But now, you know, here we are, postmodern cuisine. So what we are, you have lots of wonderful chefs. And one easy way, and I was talking about transportation before, is to go to Grand Central Station. There there is uh, 
uh, Great Northern Food Hall, where you can uh, taste, you know, both very basic, simple Danish food and very, very refined. So that's one way of doing it. Tell me more about your scholarship recipients and some of the stories that you want to share with us about these individuals. So they're really, um, each year our class gets better and better, I think, which is so so hard to imagine that they keep topping themselves. But we believe that, as we've been discussing, that really this was the country at large that worked to protect the Jewish people. So we are looking, we're honoring a wide spectrum of students in that, and that we're not looking for any specific areas of study. We're just looking for the best and the brightest in their field that we believe are going to have a positive impact in the world. How tight-knit of a community is it? Folks who've received the scholarship, say, years ago, do they come back? Are they a part yes, of the I mean, we, organization? we are a family. Once you join the Thanks to Scandinavia family, you're, you're part of the family, and we meet our students a couple times throughout the year, one weekend a year, we fly everyone in from all over the country, which is coming up in, in, August, in October, to really get to know them, have them get to know us. And, and we, we are a family. We have alumni events throughout the year. We try and be in touch periodically. At least once a month, I'll get an email from somebody who graduated many, many years ago saying, I'm in town. I'd love to get, to have, get together for lunch and catch up. And that's really great fun for us. I mean, it's... It, we do become a family. We work hard to try and build a community of our scholars. And for them, when they get here to this country, they may not know anyone. And so it creates a an automatic built-in group for them to get to know each other and, and start from there. And it's amazing the friendships that have come out of it. I'm not aware of any couples getting married yet, but that <laughs> might come. Uh, but the, it really creates a, a friendship base for them as well. What do you do specifically to get your story out there? We do things like this. We, we, we do a, a series of programs. We speak. I, I speak. We work with the consulate on, on again, and engagements. We try through our website. Um, we pass the story on to our students. You were asking how much is taught in schools in Scandinavian countries, and it's amazing to me how many of the students don't really know about the story. Uh, I would assume everyone knew, um, although in America, as you said, we didn't grow up learning about that. I think I was a fairly well-educated person on the Holocaust, and this is a story that was new to me until about 10 years ago. Um, so it, it's we do work hard to share it and tell it to as many people as possible. Are there any commemorative markers or anything like that in Denmark to make us aware of yes, what happened 75 yes. when years you go ago? To Denmark, when you go to Denmark, there are many ways you can see it. Up in the coast, uh, uh, north of Copenhagen, where the rescue uh, took place, uh, there are lots of places where you can see and understand what did actually happen. A church where they all were hiding, a lot of them were hiding. Uh, many places where you'll get a feel of also how uh, absolutely lucky it was um, that it really did um, uh, succeed uh, the whole exercise. Uh, we have a, a great uh, museum uh, of the resistance and that is of course a huge part of it because what happened in Denmark 
after the rescue of of the Danish Jews was that people became very proud. We were invaded in in 1940, and so it was, as Kelly said, in in 43. And being invaded really, you know, wrecks havoc inside your, uh, as as a country and as a citizen. And we were really, really uh, 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 proud of what we had done as a society. So the resistance became very, very strong afterwards. If we can pull this off, we can pull many things off. And the Germans or the Nazis hated that because um, they they couldn't really fight it anymore. And the resistance, Danish resistance, was so good that uh, the British uh, decided together with, with the Allies to make Denmark part, part of the active Allies because... That was really what we were in in the the last two and a half years of of the war. And that was thanks to what we showed ourselves to be able to do. So if people want more information about Thanks to Scandinavia, how do they find out? Easiest way is our website, thanks2scandinavia.org. Any place you want to direct people, Anne? Yes, Denmark in New York. Um, that's our website, and there you can find us, Facebook, Twitter, whatever we do in, in this wonderful modern world. So if I wanted to close out this interview by bringing in a Danish song, is there one that you would suggest I look up and play, Anne? There is a very beautiful national anthem uh, where the, the lyrics are written by uh, the uh, Hans Christian Andersen, and it's called... Uh, there's a beautiful country. And thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Kelly, thank you. Thank you for having us, George. It was our pleasure. Anne Dorta Riggelson is Denmark's Consul General in New York. And Kelly Remote is the Executive Director of Thanks to Scandinavia. And that's all the time we have for this week's Cityscape. My thanks to producer Julia Seaboat. I'm George Bodarki, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>